Folks, you can support the hardest working sports talk show in South Florida through Cash App or Venmo. Just search Cash Big O Show. Support us through Cash App or Venmo. Cash Big O Show. We thank you for your incredible support. Right, all right. There he is, ready to go. How you feeling, my man? You feeling good? I am feeling good. How are you? Very good. Can't complain. Just uh, recovering now. Be an interesting six weeks for me. So we'll uh, we'll get through it as always. Little little uh, surgery, little foot surgery yesterday. So oh. got it done. Wear and tear after fifty-seven years. It happens. Um, let's uh, let's get into a, a little. Uh, first of all, Dolphins wise, what'd you think of the Anthony Weaver hire? Um, I, I think it's a good hire. I think it's a good hire. He's, uh, look, I think he's a coach who there's not only upside in the sense that he's a guy who has some experience, but also, uh, what comes in and I think gives a fresh perspective, uh, to a, to a unit that look, has had a lot of change over the last couple of years. And so, uh, I think it's about finding stability. And I think that Weaver is a guy who can come in and provide some of that for the Dolphins. So I, I overall, I thought it was a good hire. Yeah, uh, to me, the only the, the one thing I've been telling everybody, I didn't have a problem with Josh Boyer. I didn't have a problem with Vic. I have a problem more with Mike McDaniel. So something tells me that this Anthony Weaver thing is is going to be just fine. Plus the move of hiring Joe Barry. Right. who's been the defensive coordinator the last three years in Green Bay and in other places, to be the linebackers coach and run coordinator and sounding board, I think, for an Anthony Weaver, I thought that was actually, to me, that was the genius move out of all of it because I love what Weaver brings and his potential and all that good stuff and where he comes from and all that, but it's always good to have those young coaches have some guidance, and I thought that was actually a nice hire. I really do. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Barry was the hire of a lot of people's uh, feelings in Green Bay as the coordinator, but he's not the coordinator of Miami. And so I think that's good to have that experience on staff. Um, you know, it, it gives you somebody to kind of lean on if you're stuck or maybe you're feeling a little bit like you don't exactly know which way to go in a certain game plan. You have that experience. You have a guy who's been there who's done that. So I agree with you. I think you know, Barry as a D coordinator would scare the hell out of me. Barry as a position coach. I think is is a very smart hire. Yeah, although I don't know about that because the offensive line coach, Butch Berry, for the Dolphins, was terrible at the University of Miami. And when he left Denver to come to Miami, because Mike knows him, he he was so ripped over there in Denver by so many people. And then comes here and does a marvelous job. You know, Austin Jackson turns his career around and all that kind of stuff. And they had backups to backups actually doing serviceable things here on the offensive line. And he just did a marvelous job out of all the position coaches. I think most Dolphin fans will tell you that he was the best position coach out of all of them. And he was the guy that was killed. So sometimes, you know, you just can't go by that. Sometimes you're in the wrong spot. You're at the wrong time. You had bad luck, injuries, whatever it is. Sure. Maybe you also had politics that were getting in the way of you doing your job, too. You, you've been inside this business for a while. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you're put in a position to fail as a player or as a coach or whatever, and it's just something that sometimes is out of your control, but the public doesn't know about it. Yeah. I, you know, look, I think sometimes 
there's definitely, first of all, there's definitely truth in that. Secondly, um, you know, a lot of times you, know, you can have a good coach who just the personnel's not there. The scheme isn't right for the guys who he's inheriting. It takes a couple of years. You don't have a couple of years in the NFL. You know, that's why I always laugh when, you know, it's a lot of these people who are like analytics heavy who are like, well, you know, if you just if you just acquire picks and you accumulate picks for three and four years, it's like, yeah, great. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be fired. This is the national football. This is Madden. Like you don't have 10 years to, to figure it out. And so I do think sometimes, yeah, you've got to kind of come into a situation where you either have the ability to get a lot of new players and turn around quickly, or you walk in where there are guys already in place who can play your scheme. Because if you've got to kind of wait on that, it's tough. It's very tough. Yeah, yeah I'm with you there. How you feeling uh, about your boys this week? Because I'm feeling good, bro. I've I've already bet it twice. I bet it at one and a half, and I bet it at two. I'm doing the same thing I did two weeks ago. You want to give me points? Let's go. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep doubling my bet every time you add half a point or a point. Thank you very much. Uh, that's the way I'm looking at it. I know San Fran's a hell of a team. I think KC right now is just best player in the world, got the perfect balance, and has got the defense to stop San Francisco. So I'm I'm going KC here, bro. How you feel? I normally with the Chiefs, I mean look, 30 years of being beaten down by that franchise before Mahomes showed up. I I've like I've become just pessimistic no matter what happens. I actually think the Chiefs are going to put it on San Francisco pretty good in this football game. I've felt that way all week. Um I I think two, really for two reasons. One is I just don't know that the 49ers have the goods to stop Mahomes if they don't get pressure on him relentlessly in this game. I mean, I I love their linebackers. Who doesn't, right? Warner's amazing. Greenlaw's a very good player. Jesus Christ. But, but, like, after that, though, I mean, that secondary, they play a lot of zone. They can be had. Like, you can throw the ball on the 49ers. This isn't a secret. Right. When I look at them up front. This is not the team that got the Super Bowl a handful of years ago where you had Buckner inside and Armstead in his prime. You had D Ford and he was playing well. And you had Bosa, who was unbelievable. I mean, Bosa still remains unbelievable. Chase Young has not been good this year. I mean, go watch the tape. He's not played particularly well. Eric Armstead is still a good player. He is not the player who was five years ago. And Hargrave is, is the guy that is that secondary pass rusher. But the Chiefs are strong inside. So, like, I look at the game and I think, look, if they double Bosa, they chip Bosa, it becomes very hard for the Niners, who do not blitz, to get a lot of pressure. And if Mahomes knows what you're doing, I don't care what you do, he's going to torch you. Like, if he is able to sit back there and look at what he is expecting to see, and throw that football, it's a problem. The other side of it is, I just think Spagnolo against Purdy is a mismatch in the game. I do. I think he can confuse him. I think the Niners are going to try to counteract what they know is coming, which is going to be a ton of pressure by getting the ball out quickly. The Chiefs have two corners in McDuffie and Snead, who are two of the best tackling corners in the NFL. They, they had each had 60 solo tackles this year. They are not afraid to climb up and make a play. They are very good in coverage. It is the strength of their defense. Most teams play the Niners with zone, and they back up. The Chiefs are not going to back up, and they're not going to play zone. They're going to play press man. They're going to get on the line of scrimmage. They're going to bracket Kittle. They're going to play one-on-one against Ayuk and Samuel, and they're going to say beat us. And if McCaffrey wants to rush for a buck twenty-five, they don't care. They're not going to care because their whole thought process is going to be you're not beating us over the top, and every time you score, it's going to be 12 to 15 plays. And at some point, we're going to get a stop on McCaffrey, and it's going to be second and long. And that's when the drive ends because they've been great at that all year. I do think the Niners have a ton of talent. Could they win the game? Absolutely. 
I just think the matchups specifically a lot of the favor Kansas City. Yeah, I, I think so. And that's because of the secondary. Yes, it is. Secondary is going to make it hard on their superpower, yeah. which is Purdy and that and that perfection passing game that he is deadly accurate. He is on time, right? And his guys know how to get open. But if you have Bird and McDuffie playing at a high level and physical, I just think it doesn't allow you to get in that groove. And as long as that line doesn't allow McCaffrey to go crazy, right. I just don't think Sam Fran's going to store score as many points as, as Kansas City when it's all said and done. And I think Kelsey's going to have the game of his life. And I would not be surprised, by the way, Rasheed Rice also have a monster game considering the secondary he's facing. Yeah. I, look, the one thing in this game that's weird, I think, from a national perspective, and, and and I get why, but if you actually look at it, it's just it's a fallacy. There's all this talk about this week about how the Chiefs, well, what are they going? How are they going to block the Niners? What are they going to do? The Niners' defensive front this year has not been great. I mean, Joey, like in Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa is incredible. Ten yeah. and a half sacks, but like an ungodly amount of quarterback hits and pressures. I mean, he's he's a top three defensive player in the league. Okay, he's amazing. After that. Like Hargrave's been good, but you can run the ball relentlessly on them up front. They do not. They, I mean, and, and that goes for Bosa and Chase Young, by the way, who on the edges, they are so aggressive. You can run underneath them. And I guarantee you in this game, Andy Reid is going to use their aggressiveness against them. They're going to run a million different looks to slow down those edge rushers. And they're going to say, listen, if you want to be overly aggressive and shoot up the field a thousand miles an hour, that's great. We're going to hit you with Pacheco on counters and we're going to hit you with screens and all these different things. But I, I think the one thing in this game is the Chiefs are better on both sides of the ball up front. Like if you really look at the game, the Chiefs have Chris Jones up front. They have Carl Loftus up front. They didn't they do not have a Menahu, which is a loss, but they have Mike Dana, who had seven and a half sacks this year. On the offensive line, the Chiefs are missing Tooney, which is a big loss, but Al Grady comes in. He's a good player, is backing him up. They have Humphrey, they have Smith. The Niners up front have Trent Williams and a lot of question marks on that offensive line. I don't like. I'm not saying Chiefs have a massive advantage up front, but I think at worst it's a push. And if it's a push for the Niners in this game up front, they got a problem. I'm sorry, is Trent Williams blocking Chris Jones? He's not blocking Chris Jones. Oh, that's a major problem because yeah, I mean this is <laughs> and this is special to block Chris Jones, okay? Because outside of Aaron Donald, there is nobody more nastier than Chris Jones. By the way, to back up your point, yeah. I just pulled it up. Nick Boza has the 10 and a half sacks. Nobody has more than three and a half sacks after that. It's just, it's a problem for them. Like, let's Fred just has two and a half. Uh, Greenlaw has one and a half. Clennon uh, Farrell, former Raider reject, has three and a half. And Kinlaw has three and a half. Like, you don't really have another sack artist. Nobody else. Well, Har Hargrave, Hargrave has seven. Does he have seven? I don't see it. Where Hargrave is has seven and Armstead has five. Oh, I saw. There it is. Yeah, Javon Hargraves does have seven. So well, Hargraves the guy. Now look, the, but the, again, the only the other guy with the Chiefs, like their interior offensive line is their strength. So I yeah. think they can handle. And that that's to, again, it's matchups. Styles make fights in the NFL. Yeah. If you're, it, I guarantee you, what the Chiefs will do, and everybody listening to this, you watch it, you can remember this, burn it in your brain. They are going to walk linebackers up to the line of scrimmage. Because they are going to force the Niners to block Chris Jones one-on-one -on -one in this game. And they are going to say, here it comes. And they're going to line Jones up over everybody not named Trent Williams. 
and just relentlessly go at him. Colton McKivich is their right tackle. He has struggled this year. I guarantee you they are going to put Chris Jones on Colton McKivich every third down. And they are going to sit there and they are going to walk guys up so that McKivich doesn't have any help. And they're just going to go after him. And they're going to put Carl Loftus on the same side. Look, none of this is foolproof. There's obviously ways to counter that. You can put a back in. You can do different things. Like, I get all that. I just think the matchups in this game, the Niners are used to being able to get a lot of easy yards. A lot of, hey, throw it outside to Samuel. Throw it outside to Ayuk. And we can play pitch and catch, soft zones, bad tacklers on the outside. The Chiefs are not going to do that. They are going to climb up to the line of scrimmage. And I guarantee you in this game, they are going to make Bill Vinovich make the calls. They are going to play this like it's a boxing match. Ask Tyreek Hill. They're going to get up on the line, and they are going to try to press them. Wasn't that wrestling? A little bit of that, too. I mean, and this has been something they've done for years. I remember vividly in 2020, they played the H title game against the Bills for the the, uh, COVID year. Stephon Diggs went up against Brashad Breeland. And Brashad Breeland in that game, the first quarter took three penalties to the line of scrimmage. And the rest of the game, Diggs did nothing. They, I mean, it, it just became, look, call it. Call it every play. We don't care. And right. Belichick used to do that to the Chiefs when they had Hill and Cal- Belichick did that all the time. That's where they got it from. They will do that in this game. They will get up on the line and they will Especially go after Ayuk and Debo and they'll make them call. Remember when they picked up Browner also because Browner was known yes. for – like He was like a linebacker. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was like you, you call it. I mean, at some point if you're an official – you're not going to call it on every play. You're, you're not going to throw 15 flags in a call. Like they are going to get up on the line and maul them and say, go ahead. Go ahead. Run a route. Run your slant. Try to get all you, – if you want to run a timing pattern, you're going to have a problem. We're going to maul you at the line. The Niners going to figure it out. Well, I would imagine the secret weapon this week, right, Matt, has got to be Kadarius Tony, right, after all those comments this week. <laughs> Andy should be in, enthralled in love with the kid. And oh, he's yeah, probably- sure plugging him in as a starter this week, benching Rasheed Rice, and he's going to throw to Kadarius about 82 times in this game, correct? I mean, I mean, Kadarius really is handling everything just beautifully. Yes, I'm sure that Kadarius Tony is going to be a huge X factor. I appreciate it when asked if he was going to play Andy Reid, said we'll see. Um, I feel <laughs> confident in breaking the news that Kadarius Tony's not playing this week. Um <laughs> I've seen people like oddly. You're not even on the team. No, it's just looks like you're on the team, but you're not even part of the team anymore, bro. You may not even know that, but the rest of the world knows that nobody in Kansas City wants you anymore, Kadarius. They had a practice. I want forgive me. I think it was last week. It all bunched together at this point, where they were like doing like different different you know route running and just like a just a pass catching drill. And they're showing all these receivers running the same route. And then they, like, pan over, and Kadarius Tony's just off to the side by himself. And I was like, yeah, that pretty much is it right there. It's the same thing. Like, well, Sky Moore, he's limited. Yeah, I got news. Sky Moore's not playing. Like, there is no chance. And I've I've seen a handful of national people who are like me should know this and should know better. I don't care if you're national or not. Like, well, they're going to need him on these jet sweeps. The Niners have been susceptible. Bro, let me tell you something right now. McCall Hardman's getting those jet sweeps. Okay? Of course. And I know Hardman fumbled twice in Buffalo. I get it. Dude, you go with people you trust. Hardman, here's a fun little fact. For anyone who wants to throw a prop bet out there, just to to consider this, they played the Niners last year in San Francisco, regular season game. I believe it was late October. 
They won 44 to 23, the average 9.1 yards per attempt. McCole Hardman in that game had three touchdowns, two of them rushing. They kept handing the ball off to McCole Hardman. He was just ripping off huge chunks of yardage. And I've seen people say, hey, listen, that's fine. But he fumbled twice in Buffalo. They gave Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony three and a half months to figure. You think they're going to bench McCole Hardman after two fumbles? MVS couldn't catch a ball for the whole season. Right the time, guy made the biggest catch of the year. They will give the ball to McCall Hardman. I promise you they're not going to shy oh, away from giving the ball to McCall. Two weeks in a row, the Green Bay kid makes some big catches. Yes. Am I right? They're, yes. Yeah. I mean, they, they are not going to shy. McCall Hardman's been there for five years. They're not going to all of a sudden just go away from him. Believe me, they'll hand him the football. It's the opposite of what's freaking going on. If you've watched the games, actually what's going on, the Kansas City offense has gotten better the entire season. It was a mess at the beginning, yeah. even with even with Kelsey, you know, like because nobody else could catch. All right, let's bracket his ass and we'll make it hard. And 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 then Mahomes was frustrated. Then as the year went on, Rasheed Rice went from possession guy to like, okay, I could be like a number two, number right. one for this team now. And then all of a sudden, the Green Bay kid is making catches here the last two games that you need him to make catches. McCole is, is pitching in. Kelsey is now playing like a monster now. You got the running game that's been consistent the entire year. If you actually look at it, the Chiefs have gotten more dangerous as the year has gone on. And so for you to think about anybody else, Kadarius or anybody else at this point, you're not watching. You're not watching. The coach is telling you, who he trusts. Mahomes is telling you who he trusts, and it ain't those guys. Come on, no. man. Look, it's not I, – I, I, we've probably talked about it here. I know I've said this in other spots of written this. Like, th for the course of a 17-game season, you need to rely on your entire team. right? I mean, no matter who you are, no matter how much you may have star power, like, you've got to rely on the – third, fourth, fifth receivers. It's just, it's the nature of the sport, whether it be injuries or just keeping guys fresh. The Chiefs got to the playoffs and basically looked at their their roster and went, you know what? The hell with that. We need to win three or four games. And we're going to ride these guys like Turcotte on Secretariat, okay? Like it's going to be Rice, Pacheco, and Kelsey. And then all of a sudden, I think almost by action, like MVS was like, you know what? I remembered I can catch. And now all of a sudden, like, well, what the hell? Throw him the ball. Like, but it's the other three guys, and it's Mahomes. It's just those three guys, a good line, and Mahomes. And it's like, listen, with that defense, it's good enough. Like, we can score 24 points like this, and if we score 24 points, we're going to win. And so I think for the Chiefs, like, everybody always tries to find that other guy. If, they, if their game plan goes away, the they want it to go against the Niners. I guarantee you it's going to be Kelsey for a buck 10 and Rice for a buck 20 and Pacheco getting the ball 23 times. And, like, that's how they're going to play. And they're going to hit MBS and Hardman and Justin Watson, like, five times combined. And that's how they're going to go. I mean, that's – they're going to lean on their stars. That's what they do. And I would expect them to do it again this week. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on that one. It's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. What do you got going on in Sports Illustrated so uh, folks can check you out, my friend? Yeah, uh, matchups to watch as always. I uh, went did a deep dive. It's coming out on Friday this week. I ranked all the Super Bowls from worst to best, which is out already on SI.com. You can check that out. I had a lot of fun with that. That was also kind of hard. 
That was harder than I thought. It wasn't that hard to rank the best, but ranking the worst, ranking the absolute worst, which, by the way, I went with the, the uh, Super Bowl 50. Broncos-Panthers was an atrocity of a football game. Oh, um, God, yes, yes. It was not good. It was Jake alone, right, and a bunch of interceptions. That you're talking. Oh, it was, it was, it was Cam Newton. It was awful. It was, it was. Oh, oh it was Cam Newton. Newton. That's right. Yeah, of That's course. Right. Yeah. But you it know, was- one game that I like forgot even happened, and it happened in Miami, and it's actually the first Super Bowl that I remember watching. I just completely blocked it out of my mind. Niners Chargers has to be the biggest mismatch in the history of the Super Bowl. I mean, you go look at that Niners team, about a dozen Hall of Famers. You take Junior Seau out of the picture. I don't even know who was good. Like it's unbelievable how did there should be a thirty for thirty on how the Chargers got to the Super Bowl. It's Mark Say was like the leading receiver, but in any event, um, yeah. So there's that. There's the matchups to watch, um, and then there, there, you know my, I'll have some reaction from the game on Sunday. And even though it, it came out last week, look, go to Newsstands, buy Sports Illustrated. I have a sixteen page spread in there at the top fifty most influential teams in NFL history. It's also online uh, in totality. 72 Dolphins, 84 Dolphins making appearances. So go check it out. Yep, go check it out. Our Dolphins are on the list, and he's always on our list. Follow him on Twitter at Matt Verderam and catch his work there at Sports Illustrated. Matt, enjoy the week. Enjoy the Super Bowl, my friend. We'll talk next Wednesday. Take care. Thank you, sir. There you go. The great Matt Verderam. Always appreciate him. And, of course, we always appreciate the great people at Perdomo Cigars, 5150 Northwest 167th Street. They are right there in Miami Gardens. And by the way, you can go to your nearest cigar shop anywhere in the world that you're watching. Ask for it by name. Get the 30th anniversary, the 20th anniversary, the 10th anniversary, the Abano Bourbon Barrel Age, the Lot 23, the Double Age 12-Year Vintage. Absolutely awesome. I love the Maduro and that smoke. It is just absolutely great. Go check it out. Plus, we've got Perdomo lounges around the country in Hoover, Alabama, Cigars and More, Pompano Beach, Smoke In, Steenberg, New York, Smoking Bears Cigars, uh, in Clarksville, Tennessee, Up in Smoke Cigars. You can find a Perdomo lounge. There you go. Check it out. Perdomo Cigars, baby. Trust it. I do. All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we have going on? Oh, uh, that's why I'm inter Miami. No, can't respond. What are we talking about here? Uh, some homework. Greer, when it comes to bringing talent and players, is not the problem. Selecting a coach might be as yeah, yeah. Selecting the coach has been the problem right now for for Greer. That's uh, that right now. If he doesn't get the Greer, the the McDaniel thing right, that's going to be a knock for for all three guys, you know, because obviously Greer, McKenzie, and Allen, they had they had first uh, uh, flow, and then and now McDaniel. That will be a bad look for them. That I can't argue. But talent wise, I love what they're doing. It's the best talent we've had here in decades. Just got to get. Got to get to tweaking a little bit more, and hopefully the coach is the one that figures uh, some stuff out, and maybe you can have a better season next year. Alf says, I like how the Packers and Finns traded coaches and froze out Fangio, who wanted both. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. You know what I mean? But I have a bigger problem with freezing out 
Andrew Van Ginkle. That's what I need you to do. I need you to freeze out Andrew Van Ginkle and bring his ass back to Miami because Miami needs Andrew Van Ginkle badly next year with the two injuries to Chubb and Phillips. You know, that is, that's the one I'm really worried about, Alf. I don't mind the, I, I don't care about cock blocking for Anthony Campanelli or anything else. That That's fine by me or whatever, you know. Although I will say this, let's, uh, let's talk a little Dolphins here. Um, it is a bad look for McDaniel that he is not promoting from within. Now, McDaniel, and, and you'll see coaches leave when they don't get opportunities. He interviewed, he wanted the job, he didn't get the defensive coordinator job. But here's the problem with Mike McDaniel. He's in a rock and a hard place. He has to nail this hire and get it right because he has to focus on his own stuff. He can't be worried about defense. So if he doesn't feel Campanelli's ready, his job's on the line. Like I told you, this year becomes the hot seat year for McDaniel if he does not figure stuff out. By the end of the year, most of you will want to fire him. If not, if he doesn't get fired, he's going to go into year four on an incredible, we're at a, on a sizzling seat. Put it that way. We've I told you, we've reached the fork in the road already. He's made way too many mistakes over and over again. So in his eyes, he has to nail the hire. If he didn't think Campanelli or Hill or uh, what was it, Slowick, the other guy, if he didn't think they were ready, well, then he's got to go with Weaver. And Weaver looks like a good candidate. But again, this is coming from the guy that didn't have a problem with Josh Boyer that much. Was he great? No. But was he really the problem? No, not at all. In fact, McDaniel was more of the problem and more of the screw-up in his first year. Last year, was Fangio really the problem? I didn't like the Tennessee game. I know that. I didn't like he didn't blitz and get after Lamar. But he wasn't perfect. But was he really the problem? No, it was more Mike McDaniel. So I kind of expect the same shit again this year. I think Weaver will be a fine defensive coordinator he'll do his job is mcdaniel gonna do his job so to me that's what it's all about it's more about the head coach getting his shit together i don't worry too much about this you know i worry about mcdaniel fixing this but i understand the decision he has to make he has to nail this he has to have a great defense because he has to fix himself first and foremost. If he has to also worry about the defense, um, uh, um, uh, 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 it becomes a bigger problem. It becomes a much bigger problem. Okay? So, anyway, it is, it is what it is. As for the cap crisis, there is no cap crisis. Okay, folks, there is no cap crisis. I get it. Some in the media need clicks. Some in the media need views. And they've got to create sensationalism whenever they can. Okay? I'm not about sensationalism. Okay? I might shock you with something, but it's because it comes from fact and what, or what's actually going on in the building that sometimes people don't know what's going on in the building, but we got to kind of straighten that shit out sometimes. OK, uh, for me, I I look at this situation and um, the cap situation for me is very manageable. Is it a challenge? Yes. But it's not 
the cap is not the problem. Okay? The problem is the challenge. See, that's where that's where the language mis, mis, uh, misinforms you, misdirects you, and then makes you an uninformed fan. Oh, we got cap issues. No, they don't. They've got so many places they're going to open up cap space. The challenge is keeping Van Ginkle to keep you afloat while you wait for Phillips and Chubb. Okay? The challenge is making sure that you agree to deals with Rob Hunt and Connor Williams. Okay? The challenge is just re-signing people and getting down to the numbers and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's actually trying to figure things out going into next season, but it's not a problem money-wise because people tell you it's cap hell. They have no cap hell next year whatsoever. None. It's very manageable, the numbers. Now, the challenge to find certain talent, you don't have a third, you don't have a fourth. That makes, again, another challenge for you like last year's draft where you didn't have as many picks, and so you get less cracks at college football. So that makes a challenge. And then in free agency, you will be able to do something in free agency. You will have some flexibility, but where do you go in that area? And who's available? We still don't know who's going to be available. We don't know who's going to be tagged, who's not. There's still stuff that we need to find out. But the part that I just want to make sure I reiterate, there is no cap hell. Okay? Or whatever adjective they want to try to describe cap. The cap is easily managed. The challenge is the side of the talent and unearthing that talent. Now, they've been terrific at unearthing talent on a consistent basis, which, again, because of sensationalism, you know, at that moment, let's write a panic article. At the moment, let's do a panic piece on television, on, on a podcast, or whatever the hell, because let's not put all the facts in. Let's not say, hey, they do find other players undrafted street free agents, free agents. They do find guys that are gems, right? They do bring a Raheem Mostert and he led the NFL and they found a Zach Sealer who, who played as good or maybe even better than Christian Wilkins this year, right? So they do find guys. They find an Andrew Van Ginkle in the fifth round, right? I know Cater Coe who had a horrible year but he was a good find two years ago, and hopefully the kid will get back and maybe they'll play a style that's better suited for him this year. I don't know. But it happens all the time, and we don't mention it. At least, Well, I mention it. What I'm saying is people that talk to you about the challenge, they don't mention these kind of things, right? Because it, it, it then counter... It's counterproductive to their sensationalistic article, sensationalistic piece on television, uh, whatever rant they have on radio or some podcast. However it is, you get your form of information. But why? I'm going to make it all sensationalistic and make it desperate because that's what you want to hear. But I'm not going to then tell you and walk you off the ledge and tell you, hey, there's, oh, it's cap hell. But I'm not going to tell you that you can get rid of excess salary in June. 
You're going to get rid of Ogba's salary. You're going to Christian Wilkins is not re-signing with the team. You're going to uh, give to a new contract. So you're going to open up another 15, 16, 18 million dollars there in space. Uh, Cedric Wilson's not coming back. That's six million more that that you you had against the cap last year. You don't have it this year. It, it, there's so many areas. Okay. You're, if you want to go after Derrick Henry like I want, you eliminate the $2 million salary from, from Wilson. That's more salary there. And so it just – they tell you all this, but then they refuse to tell you all the other things that really it's not Capel. Really, they actually do find talent in other places. It's not just the draft, and it's not just free agency. Sometimes it's street free agency. Sometimes it's undrafted free agents. Sometimes it's a trade. You know what I mean? But some they don't seem to actually talk about that. They just want to tell you that it's going to be terrible because that's what sells. That's what's going to get you to click. Oh, my God, we're going into cap hell. Oh, my God, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the Bermuda Triangle of cap. That's what sells. I don't do this shit for that, bro. I don't. I don't need to. And I refuse to. I've never done it that way. I've never done it at QAM. I never did it at 940 wins. I never did it at 790. I was there before it was the ticket or anything like that, by the way. It's 30, 30 something years ago. Um, what's it called? Uh, I never did it at 640. Uh, where else have I done radio? I mean, you know, all over. And I won't do it here. Not doing that. Just call it like I see it and that's it. Instead of what sells, what kind of dramatic thing can we add to this? Yeah, not my style. Uh, oh, I can pretty much guarantee the new DC will make a hard pitch to Greer for Patrick Queen. I don't know if he does, but I already made my pitch for Patrick Queen. I want Patrick Queen here. Give me Derrick Henry on one side and Patrick Queen on the other. Uh, True Fin Fan, thank you for the love and the super chat. Says, how are you feeling, my brother? I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling really, really good. Um, so I can't complain. The stuff hasn't worn out yet. Still can't feel my toe. So it hasn't worn out yet. Um, it's funny because I, I feel my finger feeling my toe, but my toe doesn't feel my finger feeling the toe. Uh, but thank you for the super chat. As always, remember, you can make a donation through Cash App or Venmo at Cash Big O Show. That is Cash Big O Show, Cash App or Venmo. Always appreciate you all out there. Um, let's see what we got going on market wise. Just out of curiosity, let's see what we got going on. Dow is up 150 points. The S&P is up 31 points. And NASDAQ up a, a tenth of a point. Pretty much. On the crypto side, Bitcoin holding strong over 43,000. Ethereum is up a percent and a half at 2,384. What do we got big in the market? Luvium's up 4% to $76. Um, what else? What else? 
Any big risers? Axelar is up 7%. Love Axelar. Uh, what else? What else do we have going on crypto-wise? Avalanche barely up a percent. Star Atlas had a 10% day, 8% day yesterday, up 5.5% today. So two days in a row where Atlas is pumping a little bit. God, I hope that one takes off. Life will be sweet. Um, let me see what else. Alephium, which I gave you a while back, it's up 10% to $2.18. It's having a good day. It's one of the few. Um, let's see. What else? Game Swift is up 5.6%. Caspa is up 13% for you Caspa nuts out there. Nice to see Caspa bouncing back a little bit here. It's been up so much. Uh, Ando is up uh, almost 4%, up to $0.24. Cents. Somebody gave it to you at 22. Somebody told you about Ando. Shrapnel, very good video game, is up 7.5% to $0.22. Cents. So there you go. There you go. Those are some of the things going on. Uh, by the way, I... Um, I posted something and I want to let me go over it a little bit for you. And I just want you guys to like kind of realize again, not a financial advisor by any stretch whatsoever. But I, uh, I wanted to mention it because uh, I posted it uh, last night and, or this morning, depending on what, uh, what service you use. And I want you to understand that when we talk about, you know, uh, people like uh, Grayscale, iShares, uh, Fidelity, ARK Investments, Bitwise, Invesco, uh, Vanek, Valkyrie, Franklin, Wisdom, BlackRock, we're talking about the most powerful investment firms in the world controlling trillions and trillions of dollars. BlackRock alone, I believe, controls nine or $10 trillion. I think it is something like that. Just BlackRock alone. It's not even getting our investments and fidelity. And we're, we're just getting into so many trillions overall. Okay. So out of the 11 ETFs, and this is including the grayscale dump of the of their BTC fund because people are dumping out of their BTC and then they're reversing and getting into the ETFs. Okay. So um, they have purchased 15, just them, 15,000 Bitcoin in 17 days. You do the math. Okay. All right. So Japan and China are about to activate several ETFs. So they're going to be gobbling up thousands of bitcoin too okay and then saudi arabia india the eu they're getting in the game and they're going to have their own etfs because once america does it everyone else follows suit so they're going to be buying hundreds and thousands of bitcoin a day 900 are mined daily listen to me 900 are mined daily in 70 now today 69 days 
it gets cut to 450. Do the math. Figure it out. This thing is going to skyrocket. Okay. I am not a financial advisor by any stretch. Less than 1.8 million Bitcoin are left to be mined. You can't buy nearly 80% of it because it's gone. People own it already. Okay. Exchanges are at their lowest uh, point since 2018 with Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're running out of it. And as these ETFs grow and they start chewing it up, it'll be less in retail, which is you guys, you and me. We're retail, the average person. So they're going to end up chomping them all up and keeping them all. And the regular human being is going to be left out. Again, I'm not a financial advisor. You do whatever the hell you want. Okay. But I know once it starts hitting 60 and 80 and 100, that's when retail says, maybe I should get in. And they start to FOMO in and then, you know, but now you're FOMOing and now you're buying a lot less Bitcoin for your money. So I'm just saying that you've got to really look at what's going on. And then you see, you know, as I was telling somebody yesterday on Twitter that, you know, was a little confused. Your last four presidents are on pace to print $30 trillion. Okay. Six by George Bush in eight years, eight by Obama in eight years, eight trillion by Trump in four years. And there's a good chance Biden gets to eight, maybe even passes Trump. Who knows? So let's just say eight for shits and giggles. That's $30 trillion dollars that have been put out in the market what's the dumbest freaking thing that's out there that exists you idiots out there that think inflation is happening because of one president you people are so stupid it's beyond me okay i i can't even understand or comprehend how you morons think it's on whatever president an elephant or a donkey you're a dumbass all four belong to both parties and they've printed $30 trillion. Do you think the value of your money goes up or down, dumbass? What do you think inflation comes from? It comes from printing all that money. You're not better off by having all that money out there. They printed $30 trillion, the last four presidents. Okay? And Amazon and Kmart and whatever places out there, they've already got you paying a price. They're not going to lower their prices. They don't give a shit. And they're going to, and it's, it's because they have killed the value of our dollar. All those presidents, you know, but keep being stupid and not understanding what's really going on. Actually. Meanwhile, Bitcoin is only going up. It goes from zero. No, it didn't go from zero. It was like 14 digits behind zero. 14 digits behind zero, and it's at 43,000. How's your dollar doing? From 1911, what you bought for a dollar cost about $6.70 now. Can't buy what you bought for a dollar for a dollar anymore. Ah, but I can buy a hell of a lot more eggs from zero to $43,000. 
I don't know. Some some of you don't, still haven't figured out that math. Something gains in value. The other one loses because we got morons that just, and they'll print more, and they'll print more, and they'll print more, and they'll print more. A lot of you out there are so lost because you have no understanding of how money is handled in this country. $30 trillion has been printed by the last four presidents. If you think the value of the dollar is strong because of that, you have no clue what you're talking about. Okay? All right, let's get to it, baby. Let's talk a little Miami Hurricanes with the one and only Manny Navarro. The viewpoints, statements, or beliefs expressed on the following program by the host, guests, or callers are not necessarily the opinions of FantasyXS.com, media grouping, ownership, management, sponsors, or website. If you're a Miami sports fan, there's only one store to go to. And that's Canes Wear at Miami Fanwear in Davie. They're your one-stop shop for all your inner Miami CF, Canes, Dolphins, Panthers, and Marlins merchandise. They have hats, t-shirts, game day jerseys, and so much more. Located at 2655 South University Drive in Davie. And open 24-7 online at caneswear.com or innermiamiwear.com. Call them at 954-835-5597. Canes Wear, the spot where inner Miami and all Miami sports fans shop. Time for Canes fans to get what they want. Information, insight, and perspective. It's the Canes Wear Miami Hurricanes Report with Manny Navarro. Exclusively on the Big O Radio Show. Here's Big O and insider Manny Navarro. All right, all right, all right. How you feeling, baby? You doing good? Doing good, oh. Just, uh, you know, off-season. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? News cycle, you, you know, you, this is the type of time when you when you get coaches and personnel and people moving around because of the NFL changes. And but other than that, I'm good coaching soccer, playing pickleball. You know me, brother. Yeah, no, that's good, man. Uh, <laughs> proud of you with the with the pickleball stuff. I got to uh, once I recover, I got to pick up the uh, the exercising. Yep, and uh, do a little bit more of that. I've been trying to eat better and i've been doing that but uh overall yeah i gotta pick up the exercise part of it that'll uh that'll fast track the weight loss is mm-hmm. what i need i've already lost like 16 pounds or something so i'm uh, but i need to i need to lose a lot more baby yeah uh, anyway uh are are the canes losing any weight anywhere uh <laughs> coaches and, uh, adding coaches what's going on behind the scenes well uh we just finish breaking the story here but uh, Alonzo Highsmith is headed to uh New England to join the front office there reunite with Elliot Wolf the two of them worked together for a long time with the Packers um you know Alonzo came back uh gave uh, Mario Cristobal two good years right came back to his alma mater and uh I thought helped the program in a lot of ways he was a guy that uh you know the staffers would come to he was kind of an intermediary. Mario still ran things, but um, Highsmith definitely had input. And uh, and so, you know, we'll have to see who Miami hires as their next uh, general manager of football operations. But those are important roles in college football now. And the more experience you got, the guys that, that have done this at the NFL level that can evaluate elite talent and help with the transfer portal and those kind of things, uh, they're important guys. And so we'll see who Mario hires. I'm personally really happy for Alonzo because uh, I think Alonzo's a pro guy. I don't mm-hmm. believe he's a college guy, to be quite honest. Right. I think 30 years in that business, dude. <laughs> dude I think, look, I've, I've, you know, I've kind of followed everything that's gone on with him. Um, 
he uh, he took this job because he loves the U. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, he's tired of getting dicked by the mm-hmm. NFL. Okay. Right. And he hasn't gotten the opportunity that he has already earned. And nobody's given him a shot to be a general manager. Yep. And so that to me is, you know, and so I think he's now, you know, he knows Elliot and, and both those guys worked their way to a point. And I know Elliot had his dad. So it was almost like, are you just giving him the job because of the name and all that? So he had to fight that throughout his career in Green Bay mm-hmm. land. And notice how they never named Ron Wolf's son as the general manager because it was yep. just one of those things. And so now Elliot's had to go elsewhere to go make a name and maybe alonzo now can use that as a springboard hopefully for himself to finally get a general manager's job uh lord knows i campaigned for him down here uh when there were openings in the past uh and and i campaigned for chris greer by the way also which mm-hmm. i got one of the two you know uh so that's pretty cool but um i'm i'm sad uh that that this has happened to him and right. that he doesn't get the opportunity that he deserves. And uh, I I, uh, I pray and hope that somebody will give Alonzo Highsmith a shot as a general manager in the NFL. I hope well, so. We'll see. I mean, the Patriots are still sort of sorting out what they're doing post-Belichick, right? I mean, they haven't really come out and formally said, hey, these are the guys. So this is kind of the first sign maybe that Elliot Wolf is going to be the guy calling the shots up there from from a personnel perspective for them and and who knows what role i mean they had they didn't say we don't know the exact role alonzo's going to have and you know maybe he is ready to to be a gm and elliot wolf in, in some other capacities at, at a higher level and and how they work together who knows right but uh i mean whatever probably, the case is. i i i'm i'm looking at him as a college director of scouting that's probably right. what's going to happen that elliot's going to be the gm Right. And he'll be the college director of scouting. And then you'll get a pro personnel director of scouting because Alonzo's so good with college. So mm-hmm. my guess is he's going to be the college director of scouting. That'll be my guess. We'll find out now. Right. How they how they come up with the titles, right? Yeah, how they come up with because <laughs> you always need two directors for it because the yeah. job's too big to handle one person for a person pro or or college. You've got to have each person running each side. Cause they all have their own scouts and stuff like that. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a huge, it's a huge operation. Uh, that would be my guess, but um, okay. Now on the Kane side, I, I don't like I, as much as I love Alonzo Highsmith, Mario Cristobal is such a freaking maniac when it comes to recruiting and all that. I don't think it's going to hurt you in the recruiting side of it. Maybe the management no. and all that. Maybe that's where Alonzo can help out. But I just want to say, at least I don't think it's recruiting. You know more than I do, so you tell me. No, he is ultimately a uh, check-with-me guy, right? Like in the sense where these guys evaluate players, uh, the coaching staff does, the recruiting department does, and they come to Alonzo and they say, what do you think of him? And then Alonzo says, or, and then it gets passed on to Mario, and Mario says, so it's just an extra set of eyeballs, you know, and and there and he got to do a lot more administrative things. I think at a point there was even a thought maybe he's he's an athletic director down the road, that kind of thing. And so he got to sort of learn some other roles with budgets and things that normally you don't do in the scouting department. But, you know, right. is important, obviously, to the college game. So I think he got an opportunity to do those things. Um, but ultimately, as you said, oh, he is an NFL guy. That's where he's put you know, his entire career into and, uh, you know, getting a chance with the Patriots, who knows, maybe this is, 
down the road, there's there's a team, you know, they rebuild the Patriots into a winner. Obviously, that's Bill it. Belichick couldn't do it. Uh, that's your ticket, right? That, that's that's my point, that mm -hmm. if he, he could go there with Elliott and get the Patriots back to res respectability and playoffs and stuff like that, not Super Bowls, that what they did, that will never happen again. But, you know, right. if you get them back to playing well in, in, a, in the playoffs and all that, and you find a quarterback or whatever, he's going to get a lot of credit for that. That's why I'm also thinking college director of scouting because that's his best way to get to the NFL. The pro director of scouting is not as good a road as it is in college. College is really the guy that's going to get you that GM job because you've been unearthing talent. And that's the name of the game, pretty much. So for me, that's why I think that this is just, you know, the perfect scenario for him. So if he has success, then people say, hey, man, he was successful at Green Bay. He's now successful with the Patriots. I got to give him a shot now. And hopefully that's what leads Zoe to getting that shot, man. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. He deserves it. Well, uh, I'm sure he'll do well. Mario did hire a running backs coach last night. I don't know if you saw that uh, report as well. I know you were coming off the foot surgery, but they they, they ended up getting uh, Matt Merritt, a guy who uh, comes over from USF, uh, you know, relatively young guy. He's worked with a lot of different running backs and, and, and a lot of different schools, but, you know, he's kind of viewed as a up-and-coming co future coordinator type guy. Um you know, he, he's, he was part with Alex Goldish, who's one of the best offensive coaches in college football. He, when Tennessee had their great season, Goldish was the offensive coordinator. Uh, now he did a phenomenal job with USF, and he's kind of been hand-in-hand hand here with Goldish the last couple of years. Uh, but before that, uh, you know, he was on staffs with uh, Ohio State. Um, you know, he was with, um, you know, Power 5 programs, got a lot of experience, played the position um, as a Division three player. And, uh, you know, now he's coming to Miami and uh, should be a good addition to the coaching staff, uh, getting an opportunity to uh, help the running game. All right. Good stuff. What else are you working on in the athletics so folks can uh, check you out, my friend? Yeah, I just uh, on Monday, I came out with a recruiting thoughts article. Uh, actually, a Tuesday. Today's Wednesday. I'm trying to keep track of all my days. Oh, I came out with one yesterday on uh, all the state schools. Uh, sort of putting, you know, today's technically the real signing day. Not a lot should happen today with any of the of the of the state's big five schools. Uh, but you know, if you want to put everything into perspective of what just happened with recruiting, I have a story on the 2025 quarterback recruiting class. We've actually the state of Florida has actually done a really good job producing quarterbacks. If you think of the national championship game, Michael Penix, of course, was one starter, and then JJ McCarthy, who played for IMG Academy, was the other. So you okay. had both of the quarterbacks played their high school football in Florida. I think we had nine starting quarterbacks at Power Five schools that came out of the state. So for, uh, you know, all the talk about California and Texas and, you know, Florida's finally beginning to produce some some good quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson was a top five pick. He came, came out of a state, you know, Gainesville area high school. So uh, the quarterback position is improving. I'm looking ahead to the 2025 class. If you want to know about those quarterbacks, uh, there'll be an article in The Athletic on that. Uh, but, you know, uh, just – it's the off season, though. This is the time when, uh, when you when you start working all those other projects that you can't do because you're busy covering the team. Sure, and sometimes that's uh, some. You always come up with some interesting stories, yep. so I kind of like that because you always find different angles that we didn't think about, and and people and what they did. Sometimes things that they contributed that we didn't understand. So I, I it's uh, it's good when you get to uh, do a little deep dives like you mm -hmm. do in the 
in the offseason. Follow him on Twitter at Manny underscore Navarro and catch his work there at The Athletic. Subscribe, of course, and support. Manny, as always, thank you, my brother. We will catch up later on in the week. Good talking to you, brother. Talk soon. Sir, there you go. Caneswear, use our code. Big O10, you will get 10% off anything and everything with the Canes logo on it, pretty much. They've got Heat gear, Marlins gear, Panthers gear, Inter-Miami, Messi, all that kind of stuff, man. Check it out. Caneswear.com. Big O10. 10% off online or in person. Welcome to Caneswear. New store, new items, same great experience. Family owned and operated since 2010, Caneswear has the latest merchandise from the Miami Hurricanes, Miami Dolphins, Florida Panthers, Inter-Miami CF, and more. Come visit us at our store in Davie on University Drive, just south of 595, or online at caneswear.com. Caneswear, the spot Miami fan shop. For over 16 years, EJDConstruction.com has provided South Florida residents quality.